still very much in denial <laughs> about that. April 2nd, we have 138 deaths recorded in Canada, 53 in Ontario, 11 in Toronto. The 53 in Ontario for sure is a low ball. These numbers are just terrible. The the um, I, I think there's like multiple days delay now and they're I reporting. think there's over 80. Yeah, there's the for sure people are, are is reporting. In the news, I'm I'm just going by the Ontario website, but there's for sure. I mean, that was the question someone asked the other day was asked um, Barbara Yaffe. Yaffe. And she was surprised at the disc size of the discrepancy because someone, mm-hmm. I guess CTV is calling around to the different uh, lins essentially, right? At the different in Ontario yeah. and getting numbers directly from the lins and got a number that's almost yesterday. W- they were in like this almost double what they reported on the website, like a 30, mm-hmm. what was it? 37. And they were like in the eighties. It was like, yeah. Or, or maybe in the seventies somewhere. Yeah. But and she was like, oh, that's quite a discrepancy. I'm surprised to see that size of discrepancy. But I guess in each LIN, they still have to update. I don't know that it's the LIN, but th- it's somebody. public health unit. Whatever unit it is, yeah. right. And, yeah. The, who was it? Your friend, David. Not friend, but the guy from Twitter you uh, talk about all the time. David, David Fisman. Fisman, who says, yeah, the... Public health and technology don't really go, and high tech don't really go together or something, because they can't really. Their know. systems are just not like meant for mm-hmm. quick. <laughs> Continue. Go. Headlines. No. Okay. Did Wait, you do the numbers? I did do the numbers. Okay. I was just talking about how bad the numbers are. So, yes. like, I'm kind of thinking I don't want to do the numbers anymore because they're so useless. Cause they they're are. all behind. I mean, that was a point of discussion. Yeah. But let me see headlines first. So mm-hmm. today the global coronavirus cases passed 1 million, which is kind of arbitrary because everybody's bad at counting cases, mm-hmm. not just Ontario. Um, Toronto announced a new bylaw, which is apparently a $5,000 fine for being less than two meters from someone in a park or public square. Mm-hmm. Two meters from someone that you don't live with. Um, yeah, I have a mixed mixed feelings about that because they always say when you create a fine for something, that just makes it like something that rich people are allowed to do. Oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> because... I mean, if there's actually bylaw officers around to enforce it... I mean and it also, that's such a huge fine. Like, uh, I don't know. We'll have to see how that goes. There's a lot of... Yeah, headlines, Tanya. Stick to the headlines. Okay, yeah. um, Doug Ford said that he's going to share the epidemiological modeling projections for the province tomorrow mm-hmm. in the news conference with pe- people are all talking about. I think he described them as dire. I feel like stark. it's stark. Stark. He said oh. there's going to be some stark, stark fi- numbers, fi- numbers or something like that. He he used he was quite. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that he like 
advertise this like gave a trailer for well because i think people wanted it right i mean people are complaining i think both ontario in ontario and in canada people Mm -hmm. have been kind of saying you're being too paternalistic you're not showing us numbers i guess someone maybe someone said that it because it would be too scary or we don't know Mm -hmm. i mean the truth is we don't know whatever he whatever they show tomorrow will not be based on good data because Ontario doesn't have good data. But you can still make projections. Like, you can still get, like, you can still I- give with huge error bars, right? With mm-hmm. what you know to be your yeah. error in, you can you can still predict, you can still estimate what the error bar is on our data, and you can just have this really wide range of potential outcomes as a result of that. A very wide range, yeah. Sure. <coughs> And the last thing is that apparently there's 600 nursing homes, nursing homes, long-term yeah. care facilities. Or was it was it not nursing? Ho- I mean, are those I think different? It's long-term are care facilities. I think that long-term care is a broader, is it a broader term? Hmm. Um, 600 long-term care facilities across mm-hmm. Canada that have COVID-19, at least one person. Mm-hmm. with COVID-19 which is which crazy is I had no thing. idea it was that bad like we heard about we heard about a couple like the people have been reporting here and there in Ontario but no there's like a good number in Ontario yeah. and they Ontario just changed the definition of an outbreak it used to be two or more cases they changed it to one so the headline is the at least 600 nursing comma retirement homes in Canada have coronavirus mm. cases. Okay. So it's not only, uh, maybe that's what long-term, does long-term care, like retirement is separate on its own kind of too. Mm-hmm. It's more like in, it's before the, yeah, whatever. It's a big problem. Yes, it is a scary problem. And I don't know what anybody's doing about it because... Once it's the solutions are difficult, but I mean to prevent to prevent it from spreading to more homes. Mm-hmm. Anyways, if I don't know, I won't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we can go back to the topic of bad data because I did want to talk about that. Every, I mean, everybody's reporting on this. Mm-hmm. So there is a great article in the Toronto Star that is talking about what you were just talking about, how if you call the public health units Mm -hmm. and add up all their numbers, you're going to get a much bigger number of cases and deaths than Ontario's reporting. Mm -hmm. So what's going on there? It's just a bad reporting system. And they're just like, well, we're trying to tell the units that it's really important to enter the data. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, if... What just I don't get is like if the reporters can figure it out, yeah. I guess the government can figure it out. That's what's crazy. Yeah, the, the government can just call the reporters. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> what numbers do you have today? Yeah. Ugh. And then beyond that, the cases we know, there's still so many cases we're not seeing in Ontario. So the Star is also reporting that there are a thousand quote-unquote likely COVID-19 cases that the public health units know about that aren't being reported. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the Ontario and Quebec numbers, Ontario, Quebec has like 
reporting 6,000, 5,000 and something cases. And Ontario has about half that. But if you look at our deaths and hospitalizations, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, here are the numbers. So Quebec has 5,500 cases. Ontario has 2,800 cases. Mm-hmm. But our, yeah, our hospitalizations and deaths are very similar, which gives Quebec um, an ICU. So 2% of Quebec's COVID-19 patients are in the ICU and 6% of Ontario's Mm COVID-19 patients are in the ICU, which doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for that discrepancy. It just means Ontario is missing a a few thousand cases because our testing is not good enough. Mm -hmm. And just before we picked up our microphones tonight, I stumbled upon a graph that showed testing per capita in all the provinces and Ontario was dead last. Mm. Which I guess we could have predicted. Yeah. But it doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. So, but the encouraging thing is that, like, everything keeps getting better in Ontario. Like, the data sharing is getting better. The testing is getting better. Like, we are catching up at some point. We will know what's going on. And hopefully we will have done enough by that point. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm done complaining about data. Do you have anything else? Data. Well, the thing that, I mean, I didn't think I'd be saying this as we got into this, right? Like it was, it seemed like Trudeau had his act together near the beginning. And now I'm like, I was like, oh boy, we have to rely on the Ford government in Ontario. But it's like it seems like Ford's doing a better job than Trudeau is in terms of not double speaking and answering questions directly and when there's a demand for something being like being responsive to the needs of people whereas the you know Trudeau's still saying he's not going to make the the their projections available um because it's yeah i don't know that i don't think they're doing that diff like that different of a job Mm -hmm. i do agree that trudeau has more non-answers than i am he could have he could answer questions more directly for sure Mm -hmm. but in terms of projections like somehow through another weird Canadian thing. The federal government is having trouble getting the data because there's not like a legal way to compel the provinces to give them the data that they need. They have to rely on cooperation, which I think they're getting, but it's just not, there's not really a system there. Mm -hmm. And what is the value of a Canadian model when it's so many different outbreaks and responses? Like, it's like the direct... The provincial model is the one you want to see anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, what's a Canadian model going to tell anybody? It's true. But yeah. But, the, I mean, it's just the 
the tone. I think the tone. It's it's like I think what Chris Shelley was saying in his article is it's more in the National Post. Yeah, I think he's in the National Post, and it's more like we have to prepare people. So his title is Chris Sully, Governments Aren't Leveling with Canadians About COVID-19, Future We Face. Let's see their in-house modeling. Uh, the alternative conclusion all this opacity invites is that our leaders are flying blind. That's much scarier. Like, show us your work so that we can just mm-hmm. feel confident that you understand what's going on, at least. And Like, I understand yeah. the data is not perfect, but yeah. I think that's kind of... And just let people, I think a scary picture, what they're doing in other places, I think in the, like in the U.S., they're coming out and saying we're, you know, 100,000, 200,000 deaths are expected mm-hmm. unless we change the trajectory of this. Like it gets people yeah. really thinking about it, I think. I guess. And how long is it going to go for? Like get prepared. It's it's not like you can just, like I think a, a, it hit people pretty hard was it yesterday that they extended it for another 12 weeks? Yeah. That was yesterday, right? In mm-hmm. Toronto. That you have to give people some time. Like it shouldn't be, everyone shouldn't be expecting things to get back to normal in a couple of weeks and then it be extended for another month or two or three. Like the, m- the longer we can have it in our heads, I think the better mm-hmm. people are going to accept it. Yeah. I guess I don't, I, w- I would like to see this. I don't care that much because, mm-hmm. A, I don't think they'd have very good data to yeah. build this with. And B, like I've seen, if you go digging and do the research, you can find a lot of estimates. Mm-hmm. Um, my like, But I agree with you that more information makes you feel like they're on top of things yeah and where i would like them to see be on top of things Mm -hmm. is for ppe Mm -hmm. personal protective equipment Mm -hmm. and acquiring the medical equipment like a week ago they were all talking about like getting factories to convert to make ventilators and masks and like what happened to that where where are we on that where are we on that that's true it would feel really nice to know that some people that's what i want to know because yeah ppe is everything in this fight yes that's true um which actually jumps me to the third topic i have here Mm mm-hmm so the Ontario Hospital Association is basically saying that, like, um, we would like to know when this supposed personal protective equipment is coming our way. Yeah. Because we don't have enough and people want to know when it's getting here and yeah. nobody knows what the deal is. So they've put out a public call yeah. to say what's going on. And Jane Philpot had a good op-ed in McLean's where she said that mm-hmm. the government should be, quote, obsessed, mm-hmm. end quote, with protecting healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. For, if not for the moral imperative of doing so, but just for the practical fact that these are highly skilled, not replaceable workers. Mm-hmm. And if a ventilator all by itself is not going to magically save somebody. (laughs) You need somebody to intubate the patient and know how to use the ventilator. And yeah, we can't have everyone off sick. So people, 
that our healthcare workers can't be sick and dying. Yeah. And yet all the PPE that the hospitals seem to be getting are from like donations. And yeah, today in the in the UHN call they talked about um yeah, PPE basically the that they're thinking about the backup plan I think everyone is expecting big orders to come, but they're like, they just don't know when there's big order. Like they've put money, they paid for big orders to Mm -hmm. be shipped, but they just, no one can guarantee. I think UHN has like, or has stuff coming directly to them. I don't know. But I mean, from like, I don't know. From government sources or from where they used to order it from or. I don't know. But the point is that they're, they're, uncomfortable enough that they are still now collecting they're collecting all the old stuff so that they can try to reprocess it to sterilize it and reuse it right uh which is i think the back like uh, oh that's interesting the the backup plan the backup plan yeah and that may need to be done so yeah it's definitely uncomfortable and there was i think was it yesterday where they were where ontario i think they changed some rules about who gets ppe like who even gets masks and and things like personal support workers and like primary care physicians like your family doctor doesn't get ppe apparently yeah which they should psws don't get them yeah, like that's they ridiculous. They that's came up with these the rationing, rid- silly rationalizations about why those people don't need them. Yeah, no, we need factories cranking out masks. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, why aren't they talking about that every day yeah. in their press conferences? Yeah. Somebody make me a journalist. Yeah, so. Um, and one other thing on that topic, which was an article in the CBC, which was about the fact that um, healthcare workers make up one in 10 known cases of COVID-19 in Ontario, Mm -hmm. um, which is saying like the finding is ringing alarms as hospitals across Canada are bracing, blah, 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 blah. But what it didn't seem to mention is that our testing criteria, like our we don't even know. Limited testing that we're doing is being um, biased towards healthcare workers. Right. Like we're preferentially testing yes. people in healthcare because it's very important to know whether they have COVID-19. Yes. So, of course, they're going to make up a huge we're percentage. We're going to find them. We're more. going to find them. We're going to find every single healthcare worker yes. that has COVID-19. That's a good point. Because we are disproportionately testing them yeah. so the fact that they make up one to ten known cases should be surprising not surprising yes at all that's and that wasn't mentioned i didn't see that mentioned in the article at all i'm like that feels like a really big yeah thing to not mention yeah so as good as i think the reporting on this has been really really good but mm-hmm. sometimes i'm just frustrated by um yeah they don't always give context to what they're saying yeah are you done with the data stuff are you just are you moving on with that 
I just wanted to say one thing. Yeah, sure. The, the, I think I'm going to predict. So I plotted the numbers for Toronto, Ontario, and Canada. And they, if you do it on the log log graph where you take the number of cases and plot it against the number of new cases, the number of weekly new cases, they follow exactly on the same lines. Mm-hmm. But if you consider, like kind of doing the math that we talked about like assuming that the backlog of cases is loading the data near the more recent days we should i think if you count those it should i think i think the fact that we're not seeing it getting worse is a good sign i don't know what you're saying i'm saying because the i'm saying the the backlog of cases, the backlog of tests, the yeah. results as they come in yeah. are not being spread on the day the test was done. It's being recorded as of the day that the test result is yes. Depending on what graph you look at, there are graphs. Okay. But the main numbers that they're reporting, right? Now yeah. there's this many, now there's this many. Yes. Now. If, you, if you graph those numbers, yes. you see, what you see is we stay on the same line. Yeah. We're not going, it's not getting worse, which you would expect if the true baseline numbers were still going up at the same rate, that lag in test results would make it look even worse. Mm-hmm. The line should look even, it st- should be getting steeper if things right. weren't getting better. But I think, I think it means that things, we are bending the curve. If we only, if, if th- and I don't know why they can't do this. Maybe they have done it in some places where they ascribe, where they put those data points back to the date when. The yeah, they do. I was showing you that graph this morning. Right. And it ends with a huge spike going up. <laughs> it yeah. Ends on a very bad note. Hmm. So I don't. We don't have the data to say that. Huh. To say whether we're bending the curve or not yet. Um, I checked in on the Italy on the Lombardi numbers tonight hmm. and they are still going down. Deaths and cases are going down mm-hmm. and I just wanted to potentially make a correction. I think the last time I was talking about Lombardi and how I was looking at a graph I made and it was going down like a ski hill. Mm-hmm. I was, the graph I was looking at for was for cases, but I may have said that I was looking at Oh yeah. The change in deaths. But yeah. it was for cases. But anyways, both of them are going down as in the new cases and new deaths they report each day, that number is going down huh. in Lombardy and quite quickly. Good. So I'm happy to continue to see that. Mm-hmm. Um but then I was also reading I also saw this really surprising graph about deaths and reported deaths so um, Italy's death toll is somewhere around 11,000 I think Mm. but it doesn't so apparently those are only hospital deaths and they're not counting like long-term care facilities it's not counting people that die at home and so 
they're missing they're potentially missing a lot of deaths mm -hmm. and so i was looking at this graph which i can't see anymore because it's now behind a paywall mm. but it showed all the different regions of italy mm -hmm. And it had a bar for the number of deaths so far this year. Mm -hmm. And the bar was in three different colors. So the first part was gray, which represented the number of deaths that there usually were by this time mm -hmm. in that region. Mm -hmm. And then the next part of the bar was red, which represented the reported COVID-19 deaths. And then there was a whole other section of the bar in pink, mm -hmm. which was just other deaths over top of the COVID-19 deaths and the regular deaths. Right. And that section of the bar was in most regions as big as the COVID-19 section or bigger than, mm -hmm. which would suggest that Italy is not counting about half of the deaths. Yeah. Which was alarming. Yeah. That is alarming. Hmm. So, yeah, data is a problem everywhere. I wonder if these things will get fixed afterwards. Anyways, that was in The Economist, if anyone wants to look it up, but I, don't, I can't see it anymore. It's behind a paywall. Mm -hmm. All right. That's everything we're going to talk about today. Should we just cover how we're feeling? Sure. How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, I think the f I think I'm reflect. I've been reflecting like uh, as they're talking about these nursing homes, it's just becoming. I think knowing, as I mentioned before, I know that I get the feeling, a growing sense of that we're all gonna know someone that dies as a result of this or definitely someone who gets it and probably people who die as a result of COVID-19 and I'm just scared scared for family and friends like we're gonna the, this process is gonna get very awkward just considering like if it's someone in my family and our family you know how to deal yeah. with that I am still very much in denial <laughs> about mm -hmm. that. I, I am too. Like, I don't really see that, but like, it's just, I, it's just, it feels inevitable. It's not inevitable yet. Like, it really depends. We need the data to see if we're, if we're flattening the curve or not. Right? Like, yeah. If it gets out of control, it will be inevitable. But if it doesn't, it's, it's not. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, I. You're still optimistic. I don't know if I'm optimistic as so much as just in denial about <laughs> the possibility of things getting worse. Yeah. And I have days where. I focus more on the worst case scenario in days where I focus on just the science and the numbers and forget that there's people behind the numbers. Yeah. And then it feels just very easy to think about. 
the uh, the thing that worries me now is like there's like BC now. Who's the who's the health person in BC? The head. I don't remember. But she's very good. Bonnie somebody. Yeah, and she's now saying we should be doing masks for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's the prop. We've just tied ourselves in a knot on this, like completely, because there's. I mean, I think the media now is starting to address this that they were like the way it was discussed. Dr. Bonnie Henry. Yeah. Like the way it was discussed before did confuse everyone's confused, right? Everyone's confused about masks and they got to figure it out. The who's the guy in the like I'm not going to remember that guy's name, but um somebody from the National Post did a great little short video where he basically explains the how this is going to look very bad going like in the public health people that tried to get people basically lied to people about masks not working and and it's going to look very bad on them in in the history books but getting people now to turn this it's like this giant ship that you got to turn around and point the other way now and get people to think about wearing masks and uh, it's going to be a hard thing i just don't think it's that big of a deal you don't think it makes that much of a difference like there's a certain segment of the population which you seem to be a part of that is very worked up about masks <laughs> but I'm it's not, not like I'm not worked up about them but the more community spread there is the more it makes sense to have everyone wearing a mask to it because it's not protecting yourself it's protecting everyone else in case you yeah. have it yeah. for that reason it seems like it I'm not saying it's a it has to happen but it right. just feels so like uh, another thing we could be doing, but it's yeah. So then people, so then you can suggest people wear masks, and then yeah. people will figure out how to make a mask, and then people will wear masks. HEPA like I don't masks. see. Found a YouTube video where they use HEPA filters to sew your own mask. vacuum va- from vacuum cleaner bags. Vacuum cleaner HEPA filter bags, and they're I, we haven't figured out if they are washable yet. I'm gonna make one. <laughs> the furnace filter was my first idea. But this one, this is more like an N95 style mask that like fits tightly over your mouth and nothing knows as opposed to the other kind of more surgical mask style that's like loose fitting. Mm-hmm. Seems like the way to go. Yeah. That's all. Masks. Oh, so we talked about feelings and you're feeling Back masks to masks again. <laughs> Right. That is what <laughs> I'm feeling. No, I talked about how I'm scared. That's a feeling. That's know, a real but I just That's a real feeling. It was funny. That reference is an earlier podcast in case anybody didn't get that joke. Yeah. Okay. I oh, I could talk about one more thing. Mm-hmm. Which is that today um the hospital for sick children had a town hall for parents of immunocompromised and complex complex kids. <sighs> Excuse me. Which is us. So I called in and while watching both kids, so I didn't really hear all of the meeting, but it was pretty good and I it made me feel good um to hear a few things that they shared. One was that they've been in contact with um, colleagues and health professionals around the world and there doesn't seem to be any particular um, 
risk to really complex kids um, over over your more typical mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. So that was good news. And then also that their hospital is not busy right now. Hmm. It's actually very quiet. And mm -hmm. The emergency department is quiet. And so there's telling us that for whatever reason you would normally come to the emergency department, you should still be coming to the emergency department for that reason. Contact your primary physician at the hospital mm -hmm. and bring your kid in. So that felt good because I, I had kind of felt like we didn't have that safety net anymore and yeah. and that I wouldn't want to call 911 if there if Caden had an emergency but now I feel better in doing so last thing to mention that probably should have been in the headlines but CIHR which is stands for the Canadian Institute for Health Research decided to cancel its spring funding competition so this is Canada's main um, research funding body for health research for health research <laughs> and they're canceling it at a time when ironic i mean that people are going crazy on twitter saying exactly oh yeah that. the scientists are mad they just announced it i mean not to mention the fact that i mean you spend like blood sweat and tears like i don't anyone who hasn't written a chr grant it's like uh I'm going to say a month to two months. I'm going to say a month of like full time, like five hours a day writing and editing and getting collaborators to edit and give ideas and get partners to write letters. And it's like, it's like a full time, at least one month, I'd say two months kind of on and off kind of thing and, of and usually you don't get it the first time you do it you get feedback and then you have to address the feedback and then you apply again you pl put in another month to two months of writing effort and then eventually like then maybe you get it maybe the third time you apply you get it it's this huge huge time commitment to just even apply and uh and so people applied i think the deadline was april sorry it was uh it was march early March, March 4th or 5th or something like that, March 6th maybe. And uh, and a whole bunch of people applied. I was I had a plan to apply, but another grant came in, so I decided to actually pause the CIHR grant. Thank goodness. Which in r retrospect now is, yeah, <laughs> is I'm so, I would be far angrier about this <laughs> if I had personal skin in the game, but I still feel for everyone. I mean, I could feel what it would be like if I had put in a grant. So it's, yeah, it's a big deal. And... And People yet. are so mad, though. I wonder if they'll reverse that. They decision. might. They might. Because what now everyone's saying is, I would review. It, like, I think the reason, without any discussion, the without problem is they did this without anybody. actually asking anybody whether people would be willing to review. I think the problem is that they expect that everyone, you know, many of the people... You're reviewed, you, you submit a grant, and then your peers review it. So other scientists from around Canada review it um, and they meet in committees physically in Ottawa so they would have to change their system to make it an online system which apparently NIH did in the midst of all this so in, in the US that's the National Institute for Health Research in the US is the NIH and they figured out a way to continue on through this and 
and people are making comments like th- it would feel like you know doing their part in all of this would be to find ways to fund research that could solve problems like covid and and other health i mean what the problem the other big problem with all this is the secondary health effects of people that have all these all the other health problems that we normally talk about that all of a sudden are taking a back seat to covid-19 are still there like they're still like people are still going to die of all these things and and mm-hmm. suffer and have pain and poor quality of life like the all those things are and potentially there's going to be an uptick in some of them because people aren't going to their gonna miss appointments and not go to their doctor appointments and things like that over the next few months so it just seems like all the more important to get a handle on what's going on and and keep research going so maybe you're right maybe they maybe the outcry will overturn what's happened we'll let you know Okay, I found a joke. I forgot <gasps> a joke right. the other day. Excellent. Woke up in cold sweats in the middle <laughs> of the night thinking <laughs> about it. People rely on you for All this. All right. This is a joke from Twitter. Uh-huh. Okay, it said, <laughs> I made the mistake of telling my husband an early symptom of COVID is loss of smell. He's taken to passing gas in my vicinity, <laughs> and when I react, <laughs> informing me he is helpfully performing a health check. Mm-hmm. He taught the children the technique. I may divorce him. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent. There you go. All right. That's all for tonight. Good night. Good night.